Romans 1, verses 8 to 15, it's on page 594. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Now, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. But I long to see you, in order that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. That I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And I'm sure the Lord will add his blessing to that portion of his truth. And if you remember, we are looking at uh, what I would describe as a prayer come explanation or a prayer come explanation come excuse uh, of Paul's as he writes to these Roman Christians and assures him them that his absence or his non-appearance uh, among them was in no way an indication of their unimportance or lack of priority on Paul's part. And uh, I'm sure that it was perhaps getting to him that he hadn't been able to get there. And perhaps there were people who were saying that, you know, you can't depend on Paul. Uh, he never turns up when you want him to and uh, doesn't go visiting very often and stuff like that. And uh, I, Paul is you uh, bringing his prayer and his explanation to assure them that it had nothing at all to do with the unimportance at all. Paul, as we know, and as we've heard so many times in the past, was a pastor at heart. And it is his greatest desire, or it was his greatest desire, to ensure that the flock of Christ had the capacity to grow in grace, to grow in the knowledge of the love of God, to grow in spirit, to grow in uh, numbers. That was his desire. That his people, that the people that he knew, and the people that he didn't know, obviously, had the capacity to do that. Had the capacity to stand against the wiles of the devil. Had the capacity to stand against the opposition that they were facing in the world. Had the armory to quench the darts of the, of the devil and the doubt that may assail them as they go along their way. The same, exactly the same as you and I. We need everything that these Roman Christians needed. And Paul knew that we need also. And that's why we are dealing with the same epistle as he wrote to them. And that's a, of course why there are so many epistles in the New Testament that bear the name of Paul. Because he has a motive, a motive uh, for meeting with them, a, vo a motive for writing to them, which wasn't a social one. You know, Paul 
didn't uh, long to see the Romans because he wanted to sit down and have a meal with them and talk about old times or uh, reminisce about this, that and the other. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But that wasn't the reason why he was longing to see them. For Paul there was always a purpose, a spiritual purpose, a purpose of imparting. He wanted to give them something that would give them the strength, that would give them the capacity that would give them the attitude to stand eh, and in the day that they were in. You know, he wanted to bring truth. And we saw that as we uh, studied the book of Ephesians. That Paul sort of brings bucket loads of proof of truth to the, to the Ephesian church. Something they were lacking in. Yes, they had love, they had endeavor, they had enthusiasm. But they needed the truth. They needed to be grounded. Uh, in the word of God. We saw that he, wrote, he writes to Philemon. Or Philemon. So that he can change people's attitudes. You know there are attitudes that need to be changed. And it's the word of God that brings a change of attitude. Sometimes we would call it repentance. As we sort of are bound by one way. And then the word enlightens us. And takes us on a different track. And that's what he, uh, why he wrote the book to Philemon. You know, of rebuking immor- immoral, immoral behavior. As we see in the book of Corinthians. Where there was a church that he called saints. And yet when you read what they were doing and what they were up to. You would consider them to be anything but saints. And Paul writes to rebuke them. For the way that they were living. You know, of course he needed the Galatians to... To have the understanding of the gospel rebooted. Yes, it had been brought to them. So plainly, says Paul, I preach to you the gospel of grace. That there is no salvation outside the blood of Christ. And yet we know that they went on to add things to that. So he wanted to bring them back to where he had started them off from. You know, all the epistles, they're all written in order to address some problem or circumstance or lack. And that's what Paul was all about. He was a pastor. A pastor. And I like to think that you're in Emmanuel. We have followed the pastor's lead. We have followed his lead in putting the word of God in the place of first priority. You know what? Yes, we enjoy social interaction. No one enjoyed social interaction more than I did yesterday afternoon. It was absolutely fabulous to sit down with a group of people from this church and enjoy a meal together. Of course that's a part of the Christian life. And no one enjoys it more than I do. But our focus, and our focus as a leadership in this church, is to equip the people in the Word of God. That is the the burning desire of our hearts, so that we know our standing before Him, and our standing in Him. You know, on a Thursday night, we've addressed so many issues that would bring us problems. And yet, knowing the Word of God has alleviated those problems, or should have alleviated those problems, if we listened to what God has said, and if we've applied those things to our lives. You know, to, be, uh, to know our standing before Him. Then, of course, to be able to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ with others because of our assurance of it. You know, if we're not assured of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we're certainly not going to share it. If we're not confident in it, then we're not going to tell someone else about it. Because we would lack the confidence in what we are talking about. The product that we have, we have to be confident in. 
before we can share it. Now I know that uh, there are celebrities on the television that will hold up a, a product and say, this is wonderful and this has done this for me. And when they put it down, they say, never use that if you paid me a thousand pounds. But of course they were paid a thousand pounds for saying it. But you and I have got a product or a something that we need to be assured of. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be assured of His love, of His grace, of His mercy, of the efficacy of the sacrifice that He made for us upon the cross. In the power of the blood. In the power of His faithful promise that He will be with us always right up until the end of the age. That He is coming to take us to be with Himself. That He is preparing a place for us. These things we need to be confident in. And why? How do we get our confidence? Do we get our confidence by working up our confidence or by listening to God's Word? And that's why that's, we've got this priority for the Word of God. That we are, we are to know our standing. We're able to be assured of the Gospel in order to share it with others. And we are also to live in peace and joy that only an assurance will bring us. You know, if you're not assured of eternal life, then we're not going to live in peace. If we're not assured of sins forgiven, then we're not going to live with joy in our hearts. And therefore the Bible is here to bring that assurance to us. To bring that understanding to us. Just as Paul wanted to impart this assurance to the people that he was dealing with. So, uh, well, my, in, me in this case, want to impart to you the wonderful truths of God's word. That it will hold you and help you to stand fast in the days that we actually live in. And so we come to Paul's desire to visit these people. You know, and it's a desire when you read that passage of scripture that is that uh, engaged him in his prayer life. You know, sometimes uh, as we bring our desires to God, there's always some that we're engaged in all the time. We re- remind him of such and such a thing or such and such a person because that's very much uppermost in our priorities in our concerns and we can see that uh, making requests always mentioning you always before uh, the Lord you know and this is Paul's ideal in his prayer life making mention of them now notice those words making requests because if you remember last week I said that his first note was one of praise. First, last time he says, I thank my God. <coughs> and I said, uh, last week, how uh, special it was on a Sunday morning in Emmanuel that we are able to spend time just worshipping the Lord. Just thanking Him for His goodness and His mercy. Bringing prayers of thanksgiving and adoration for the sacrifice that he made for us. You know, as we come round the table of the Lord, you know, from, from minute one on a, on a Sunday morning, we've concentrated on what is going to take place halfway through the service when we will break bread together and share the wine together. There seems to be this concentration on thanking God for the cross. You know, and with very little, if any, uh, requests being made or intercession for any other thing and it's a wonderful wonderful time probably my most favorite time of the whole week is to spend time thanking God 
for what he has done for us. But now we have the other side of the coin where Paul is engaged in making requests. And yes, prayer is about asking. Asking. You know, when when I uh, introduced our prayer time tonight, I talked about our giving thanks to God for what He's done for us, for what He's doing for us, for what He's doing for people that we've got our concerns with. But I also talked about asking. Asking for this one, asking for that one, asking for this circumstance and for that circumstance. And we know, and God has told us, that prayer is about asking. Asking someone who is bigger than us and who is stronger than us and is more reliable than us, who is able to affect our lives, who is able to intervene or interfere in them to do something for us he's given us that privilege he's that is the benefit of being a child of God is that we can come before him and we can ask him for those things that concern us now let's look at Paul we see that he's a servant of God he is serving God in the gospel of his son and therefore to do that effectively and continually he needs resources resources necessary to carry out his service you see we say so often that God when he calls us he equips us but there are times when we need to ask for more equipping for more resources and this is what Paul is doing here he's asking for the necessary to carry out the service that he is doing you know, I remember when I was working in the colliery, you know, when I'd go in first in the morning, I'd be given a job to do. You know, on my first task, because of the, the logistics of working down the pit, uh, you had to uh, go down the pit for a start, and then walk two or three miles to where you had to work, and then, of course, you couldn't go back to the stores and, and get what you needed. The first thing you had to do was to go to the stores, and get you the, the necessary equipment and the supplies and if necessary the, the tools in order to carry out the job properly you know and you want to think you want to think sort of ahead of yourself to think well, what do I need you know what tools do I need what um, supplies do I need what resources do I need and you would gather them up before you went down the pit because having gone down the pit that was it you were left with what you had. And you, and you needed things that were necessary. And you couldn't succeed in your job unless and until you had such equipment. And this is what I feel Paul is uh, showing us in this passage of scripture. This is not what Jesus said. Jesus talking to his disciples or Jesus sort of walking with his disciples. He says, but when he saw the multitudes, Jesus was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray, pray. Now what did he pray? What did he tell them to pray for? Was it to pray that the Lord would move among the harvest? 
Did he pray that the Lord would save souls? Would he pray? Did he pray that the Lord would bring people in? No, he says this. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, sometimes I've said it a, a number of times before. Sometimes we find ourselves praying for things that God doesn't want us to pray for. You know, how was Paul going to carry out his ministry? But when we read this passage of scripture, we can see that Paul was going to carry out his ministry by seeking the Lord for a passage to Rome. That's what he wanted from God. Lord, give me a passage to Rome. Give me a way to get there. Show me how am I going to get there. Show me. So that I can impart some spiritual gift to them. Now that was his prayer. That was his prayer. You know what, um, this is God's work that we're all involved with. You know, and it is he who was able to supply us with the stuff that we need to carry it out. Listen to the request of the disciples in chapter 4 of Acts. They had just been released from jail. They had just been told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And uh, this is what they said in their prayer. For truly against you a holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word with boldness. Notice, they didn't ask God to do it for them, to bring the people in, to save the lost. No, they asked for the equipping power of the Holy Spirit in order that they could carry out the work that Christ has assigned to them. You know, and this is a principle that is long lost among us, a principle uh, that we must adopt if we are to see the Lord working and moving in our midst. You see, Paul could easily have said, Lord, bless the people of Rome. You know, it's, a, it's a, a, a prayer that we would, Lord, bless the people of Rome. But you see, his prayer was totally different. His prayer didn't include him, bless the people of Rome. Lord, get me over there so that I can share the good news with them. That's what his prayer was. You see, we are not here to direct God to accomplish the things that we are important, that we think are important. Sometimes I feel that we're on this sort of, uh, sort of swiveling chair with a screen in front of us and we can see the needs that are all around us. And we, we send God over there and we send God over here. We get over there and do this and get over there and do that. When all the time, it's God's work. God has equipped us to do it. He has committed us to do it. And, and it's his right to send us to places and not us to send him to places. You know, I was thinking, when I was writing all this, I was thinking of Pat and Diane. You know, and 25 years ago, 
the year before I started in Emmanuel, Pat and Diane had been to Kenya and Tom as well. And they had felt a burden for the the orphans that were over there. You all know the story. Now they could have come home and they could have set out a series of prayer meetings throughout the whole of Rwanda. The Lord bless Kenya and their orphans. Bless them. Save them. Cause them to prosper. You know, and it would be a very good prayer meeting. And perhaps if we could have a, a prayer groups all over the place, praying for people in Kenya. No, but do you know what Pat and Diane and Tom did? They set up an orphanage. They went out there. And with their bare hands, they bought the land. And they set out the land. And they made the huts. And they set, they looked for house mothers. And they looked for orphans. You know, and 25 years later, there's been dozens of children who have been saved from the gutter and perhaps premature death and been brought into the kingdom of God. Why? Because we didn't send God to do it. They went themselves asking God for the resources to do so. You know, that's a wonderful visual aid of what Paul is doing here. He didn't pray, Lord, bless Rome. He said, no, Lord, get me to Rome so that I can impart something to them. You know, we are here to carry out the things that God deems to be important with the tools and resources that He alone can give. You know, that's a vital principle for us to think about as we go into our Christmas period and as we go into next year. What are we going to be about? Asking God to do it or asking God to equip me to do it now I know that we can't save souls but we can preach the gospel we can witness we can be here and we can be there we can do things that God has called us to do and what we need more than anything else as I pray so often is that we are filled with the spirit of God so that the word of God is preached with boldness from this place so then Paul why aren't you gone to Rome if you have such a desire if you have such a longing to do that for their sakes, for, for the sake of the gospel, and if I'm reading it properly, for his own sake, you know, there's a bit of something in it for him as well. If you, if you read those, that little verse, in order that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. You know, Paul needed encouragement. And he'd heard of faith. And he thought, I want a little bit of that. So he's, he's wanting to get there so he can impart something to them. He's wanting to get there so he can preach the gospel to those Gentiles as well. And he's wanting to get there to boost his own faith. This is the longing in his heart. This is his desire. This is his priority. So why then, Paul, if it is so imperative, if it is so beneficial, why haven't you gone before? Well, he says, it's not for the want to try it. I've been having a bash. I've given him my best shot on quite a number of times. I've often planned, he says. I've often planned to come to you. But then he adds this. But I was injured until now. But I was injured until now. Hindered. You know, and I suppose you, like me, uh, immediately we see that verse hindered. We look for the negative of being hindered. Hindered until now. 
Oh, this has got to be the enemy. This has got to be Satan that's buffeting him. That's bringing obstacles. But I'd like us to turn to chapter 15. And I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 15. Because Paul sort of returns to this thought of not being able to get there uh, until now. Again, and he says in verse uh, 22, I think it is. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I will call in to see you. For I hope to see you on my journey, and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it, has, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are all, and they are all their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. You know, when I was young, the will of God was a pretty big thing. A pretty big thing. People were running everywhere looking for signs and confirmations. I put the fleece out. That was a common saying when I was young. I put the fleece out. Of course, I put the fleece out uh, refers to the way that Gideon tested the will of God in his adventure with God. And I've heard so many people saying, I put the fleece out. And God has shown me this way and God has shown me that way. I've had a sign. I've had a confirmation. I'm looking for a confirmation. I'm looking for a sign. I'm putting the fleece out again tomorrow. You know, and there's this great desire in people to know what the will of God is. Now when I read that passage of scripture in chapter 15, I don't see Paul getting uptight or stressing out about anything. I've never seen such a laid-back man in all my life. He seems to be taking everything completely in his stride. I long to be with you. I'm yearning to be with you. I'm praying to be with you. But up until now, I've been in dead. Up until now, I haven't been able to. But he's not stressed out. He's not thinking, God, where are you? No, if you look, he's quite cool. He's quite calm and collected. He seems to be taking everything in his stride. I've been much in that, he says. And as I said earlier, our minds go straight to the negative. The enemy. Satan has put obstacles in his way. And yes, it is possible. It is possible uh, that Satan put obstacles in our way. In fact, it was the case in Thessalonica. He tells us that in, in 1 Thessalonians. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. You know, we have an enemy. Satan is an enemy. And he would try to thwart 
the program of God in our own personal lives or in our corporate lives. You know, we've seen Satan at work in this place trying to thwart the progress of the gospel and the preaching of the word using many things or many people to achieve its tasks. Distractions, temptations. He would accentuate the negatives of past failures and eliminate the positives of past successes. You know, and we are, as Christians, we are so easily discouraged from pressing on in the work that God has given us. And he knows, Satan knows, more than any of us, the triggers that he can pull that will distress us and that will bring defeat in our lives. He's a past master at it. He's an enemy that knows <coughs> what to do, what to say, what to bring. You know, and we know, don't we, that we've seen great men of God that have been snagged by a weakness that Satan has exploited and has destroyed their ministries and sometimes even destroyed them. You know, and it's something that you and I have to guard against all the time. You know, the word hinders in, in the Thessalonian passage means to dig a trench. You know, and during the Second World War, when uh, Britain was afraid that Hitler was going to land his tanks on our beaches, what they did is they, they dug great long trenches, deep trenches, so that when the tanks rolled up, they would fall into the trench. And that's what the word means. To come up against a trench that would snag us, that would swallow us up. And Satan delights in swallowing us up. And you know, the, the enthusiasm to do the will of God in all of us can be frustrated and it could sink without a trace. You know, the many young people that stood with me in coffee bars and on street corners when we were younger, open airing in Pandi on a Sunday night when the, the, the lounge cafe was in full swing and we would be across the road preaching the gospel and I can, I can look around now in my mind's eye and see 20 to 30 young people from the Ronda singing and testifying and looking out onto the streets and seeing young men and women uh, witnessing to people on the De Winton windowsills and all up that side it was amazing to see it coffee bars in Bethel and in Zion where we would be witnessing to people all the time for weeks on end and I see them now, those same people who were so enthusiastic about the will of God when we were younger now not even walking with him themselves what has happened what has happened an enemy has come and dug a trench and we've fallen in and we've disappeared out of sight of course we have an enemy of course he can frustrate the work of God in our lives but it's not the only thing that hinders see Paul goes on in, in another place and he says there's the hindrance of sickness in Corinthians he says we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction that we've experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength and we despaired for life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves 
but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will, de- and he will deliver us. Sickness, things that are beyond our control are able to hinder us in the things of the gospel. You know, and we can be so put out, put down by things that are beyond our control. And yet Paul, you know, see, he doesn't see the negative in anything. Even with illness, he says, this has taught us that we are not to depend on ourselves, we are to depend on God who raises us from the dead. And that's what he did. He raised us up. And he will raise us up. Yet Paul is never discouraged by hindrances of what shape or form they are because he will see something positive in them God uses such interests to teach us things you know I remember uh, one of my heroes as a a young Bible student was um, a man by the name of Roger Price and he was I told you the story before he he had uh, pains in the stomach and he was put into hospital and he was going to have his appendix done and he said to the doctor, there's nothing wrong with my appendix. And the doctor said, I'm the doctor, you were the pastor. I'll do, I'll deal with your physical, you can deal with the spiritual. He put him in his place. He said, Doc, he said to the doctor, no man, there's nothing wrong with my appendix. As he was having the needle put into his arm and going out, they were the last words he said. As he came round, he saw the same doctor who said, there was nothing wrong with your appendix. In fact, there was nothing wrong with you at all. There was nothing wrong. And you know, Roger Price said, Of course, I told you there was nothing wrong. Why am I here? You know, as he was coming round, he looked across the, the room. And there in the bed opposite was a young man that once walked with the Lord and had wandered so far away. You know, and by the time Roger had got up out of his, you know, out of, the, out of his illness, that man was walking with the Lord again. And his testimony was that God put him on his back in order to bring that lost sheep back into the fold. Now there are so many things that uh, hinder us from doing stuff. And yet Paul says, there's a positive. There's something to look at. There's something to learn. Hindrances are not always, or not only satanic. They can come from God as well. You know, God is able to Put us down sometimes in order to uh, bring something positive and fruitful. In fact, didn't Paul say in Acts chapter 16? Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. What had God got against Asia, I wonder? After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. What has God got against Bithynia? You know, is the, is the Bithynian, what I call it, going to be very, very small up in heaven? There's the Bithynian contingent over there. There's only three seats because the Holy Spirit stopped them going in there. So, pre- passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying come over to Macedonia and help us now after he had seen the vision immediately we sought to go to Macedonia concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them you know and you and I can be grateful that the Lord stopped them going to Asia and the Lord stopped them going to Bithynia 
because in doing so he brought them to Macedonia and Macedonia of course was the first European city to hear the gospel the gospel that you and I have come to know and love because God had a plan he had a purpose Paul's plan was to do this but God says no I don't want you to go there just yet I want you to come over here for a moment and do my will over you so that it's interesting hindrances that are satanic there are, there are hindrances that are unfortunate and there are hindrances that are divine divine they're not always negative Satan can be involved unforeseen circumstances yes even the Holy Spirit can prevent us but there's something different in Romans you know as we look for Paul's reasons in Romans it seems that he had more pressing things to get done it wasn't Satan it wasn't illness it wasn't even the Holy Spirit it was something more pressing that he had to do I'm going back to chapter 15 of Romans we have this little phrase but now no longer having a place in these parts in other words it seems that his work was now done where he was and that now he was free to come to Rome but then he goes on to say but hang on a little while longer because I've got to go to Jerusalem first I've got an errand of mercy and then he had to go to Spain but of course on the way to Spain is Rome so he was able to fit Rome in when he was doing something else I remember I'm reminded of a story that David told, told us many years ago about a man who was asked what he would do today or what he would do today if God told him he was coming tomorrow now I've got to be honest if somebody asked, said to me if God said to me I'm coming tomorrow I would spend the rest of my 24 hours running about telling everybody he's coming tomorrow he's coming tomorrow get ready he's coming tomorrow I would phone people up I would be on uh, internet and uh, Facebook and telling everybody he's coming tomorrow he's coming tomorrow but David said that this guy said well I'll have to look at my diary he said, and he looked in his diary and he said well I'm, I'm here in the morning and by here at 2 o'clock I promised my wife I'd be home for tea and I've got the Bible study to attend to at 7 o'clock in other words this man's normal life was in preparation for Christ's appearance isn't that a great thing to think that when he comes he's not going to overtake us he's not going to find us thinking I wish we'd done a little bit more I wish I told this one I wish I told that one I wish I'd been here I wish I'd been there no this man was confident that he was in the will of God right up until the time that God was coming and I, this is what I see in Paul I'm longing to go to Rome I want to be there I want to show you something I want to impart something to you I want you to give me a boost in my faith but wait a minute I've got a little bit of work you have to do in Damascus first then I've got to pop over to Troas then I've been up to Phrygia and then I've got to go down by here then I've got to go over here and now it's time I'm free to come but wait a minute I've got to go to Jerusalem a minute and all the time Paul was in the will of God in the will of God he longed to be in Rome 
But there were things that he had to do first. And when the time was right, he would do his best. You know, Paul knew. And I think this is the important thing. That God was in control. And Paul rested in that. But how do we decide what is the will of God? This is where I first, you know, when I said earlier on, we were looking for signs and confirmations and words. People were running around the globe to see what God's will was all about. How do we decide what the will of God is? Do you want the simple answer? Is that God has given us minds and an understanding. And surely these are the things we've got to use. You see, we're not robots. And neither are we puppets. Paul had his plans. He had his desires. Drawn up by reason. Common sense. Understanding. Paul had his talents. Paul had his weaknesses. Talents and weaknesses. Which would stop him going in one direction. And channel him down another for Paul there would be doors that would fly open before him and there were doors that would slam shut in front of him you know I haven't mentioned God yet how do we know the will of God well I've got a mind it's a rational mind it's a thinking mind I've got a heart, it's got desires an understanding I've got talents I've got weaknesses I've pushed some doors. I've seen them slam. And then of course, we have the overarching ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how we know the will of God. You know, when I was in the, uh, the greenfield yesterday, I knew I'd have to bring out the greenfield in. Me and Phil were talking about Linford Christie. Uh, I think he'd been on the television this week or something. Uh, and of course, Linford Christie, I didn't know till yesterday, but he is a Pentecostal Christian. And he was being interviewed about his faith. You know, but Linford Christie was the oldest man ever to win a 100-meter gold medal in the Olympics. And he was the oldest man ever to attempt it as well. He was 36 on his last attempt. And um, imagine him standing on the starting line. Now he was a beast of a man, he had guns up here, you know, and legs like this. And yet he was, and if you can remember his stare, remember his stare, looking at the line in front of him, he was almost sort of in a trance to the, to the finishing line. Imagine him standing on the starting line, the training, the conditioning behind him, everything he could do to enhance his chances of, of winning was in place. And there he was, standing on the line. Why wasn't he running? Why wasn't he running up the track? Well, because there was one more thing that had to happen before he sped off into the distance. And that was the sound of a gun. He needed to hear the sound of the gun. And until the gun went off, he must remain where he was. With all his plans... And all his desires, the preparation and the longing, the doors, whether open or shut, they were all there. But they had to wait for the gun. Until the gun went off, 
Now in 1992, the gun went off and he shot up the road or the truck and won the gold medal. Unfortunately, in 1996, if you remember, when he was the Olympics were in Atlanta, he went before the gun, twice. And he walked off with his head in shame. Got it. You know, and the world will never know whether a 36-year-old man could have won the gold medal in the Olympics. Why? Because he went before the gun. He went before the gun. You know, and with us, with all of our plans, with all of our desires, with the preparation and the longing, the doors open or shut. And here we are, satisfied in our own minds that circumstances are telling us that this is the right thing to do. This is the right course of action. And yet, somehow or other, there's a little sense of uncertainty, of unhappiness within. Because the gun hadn't gone off yet. We need to use the gun. Or are we going to be in trouble? Or are we going to make a mistake? The Holy Spirit hasn't given us the go-ahead. I don't know if ever you've, um, you've been in that situation when doing something for the Lord and everything seems to be in place and yet this is little nagging doubt. You know and my suggestion to you is that unlike Linford Christie you stay where you are until God gives you. How will he give it to you? Well listen to Paul. Paul says in Colossians let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called into one body and be thankful. Or let the peace of God be the judge. You know what? I don't think God will ever leave us without a witness. And therefore to press on because you think necessity is the judge. You know, and so often we do that. Oh, there's a need here. I've got to supply this need. Yeah, but is it God's will? Are you happy with doing it? No, let mind about that. God had told me not to, but I'm going to do it anyway. What did Saul? Saul said, don't you dare touch those lambs. Don't you dare touch those lambs. You destroy those lambs. You destroy that city. You destroy that enemy. But look how lovely these lambs are. We could use these to sacrifice to the Lord. Wouldn't he be pleased with these lambs if I kept them to... No. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience. Obedience. Obedience to the will of God. To the promptings of the Holy Spirit. How many of us have ever known there's something stopping us doing it but we pressed on anyway? Saul to his detriment. He lost the throne because of it. He lost his life because of it. You see, necessity isn't the judge. The peace of God is the judge. The peace of God is the judge. You know what I suppose? Yes, we will make mistakes. We will be disappointed. We will have problems. But the more we are in tune with the Holy Spirit, when everything else is in place, oh, for the nod, the nod from the Holy Spirit, the gun, going off so that we not disqualified and walk off with our heads held in shame. So I think that with Paul there is work to be done. There is an avenue to follow. 
but knowing which way and when to follow that avenue is quite simple there's common sense there's doors that open and shut there's the listening to the still small voice which is so important you know what I believe and believe you me it takes away so much of the guilt so much of the condemnation and the stress you know, I've told you the story before that um, when I talked to Jim the blind man and I'd been stressing out in this place and on a Monday morning about which way we should go and what we should be doing and you know, what, uh, why isn't this working and why isn't that working and what am I doing wrong and what should I be doing and Jim the blind man said to me it's God's work it's your work it's your work it's your church it's not my church so why should I stress out about something that's not mine it's his church and he equips me to do what he's called me to do do you know when I had such a relief in my spirit and I went to a, um, a leaders meeting and I saw all these men stressing out just like I had been the week before and I thought I'm not like that anymore I'm not like that anymore because God has shown me that it's his work and as long as, he's, as long as I'm faithful in what he's called me to do it's all he expects of me it takes away the the guilt and the condemnation and stress of trying to do God's will you see God's will is not there to frustrate us it's not there to condemn us it's not there to discourage us it's not there to stress us out God's will is a guide God's will is a support God's will is an encouragement God's will is knowing that there's something that he wants us to do and he will equip us to do that in his time so don't be like Abraham we've seen him on a Sunday morning trying to move on the will of God push it get it done quicker and look at the mistakes he made look at the problems he's had look at the world today because a man couldn't wait for God's time and I pray that we as we think about the future you know we've 2015 is almost up 2016 is there waiting for us to barge in and get things done but are we going to barge in without God's tick or without the sound of the gun or are we going to wait for him to show us I pray that we would be those people that would be patient in the things of God that yes we've got to be busy in what he's called us to do of course there's preaching to be done there's worship there's prayer to be made there's witnessing there's walking in the community and gaining a reputation of course there's lots of things Paul says there's lots of things I've got to do and then all of a sudden he chews you up and take you to a different place and show you his will and his purpose what do we do? we keep on praying we keep on praying we keep on doing those things that we're already involved with and who knows in 2016 whether it's the year that everything else has been a preparation for and you and I will be inundated with our desire and our longing Paul was catapulted to Rome not even under his own steam did he get to Rome he went with a Roman entourage what I wonder what God has got in store for us and that's why I think this life is so exciting because what's round the corner as far as God is concerned could be what I've been preparing for 
for the last 24 years. We pray the Lord will bless us and keep us faithful in the things that he's called us to do. Amen.